Hello and welcome to the journalism.co.uk podcast, a show where we bring you insights from media industry experts to help journalists do their jobs better. I'm your host, Jacob Granger. The wheels of the news industry never quite stop spinning, do they? Or do they? In this week's episode, we're going to talk about what happens when a newsroom stops its production line and instead simply goes out to talk to local people. The Bureau Local last month launched a new journalistic activity for the publication, something they call Local Week. It sent seven of its reporters across the UK out into their local communities to engage with grassroots groups and everyday people with one theme in mind, the cost of living crisis. The idea of Local Week is that there was no pressure to file stories, just a clear mandate from the top to gather insights on the impacts that are being felt and what work is being done to counter the crisis. At the end of the week, the journalists traded notes and tried to identify emerging patterns that they could focus on in the future when it came to story generation and investigations. Today we'll hear from two Bureau Local reporters, Vicky Gale and Rachel Hamada. They'll share with us their advice on how to talk to your community with an open mind and the good it will do to your news coverage. Don't go anywhere. Rachel, Vicky, thank you so much for jumping on the journalism.co.uk podcast. It's it's great to have the chance to speak to you. Um, Rachel, I'm going to come to you first with our signature question. What is a little known fact about you? I think I might have to be cheeky and go with two um, that are slightly different. The first is that I have three ferrets um, that live in the house because um, I'm also involved with a journalism organisation called The Ferret, hence getting involved. That was the inspiration, was it? Uh, no, it was the other way around. The journalism outlet started first and then the, the a rescue ferret followed and it all followed from there. But my other favourite fact, I think, was um, that once I was in Capri in Italy, walking up the hill to the villa of the Emperor Tiberius when I had a tap on the shoulder from someone wanting to know how much further it was up the hill and it was Madge from Neighbours. Wow, that's uh, probably not expecting to bump into them in Italy. Definitely not. Vicky, I'm going to come to you next. Uh, what's a little known fact about you, please? Um, okay, so I used to dance quite a lot all throughout secondary school, so for about five or six years. Um, and the most kind of prestigious place that I performed was the London Palladium. So every time I um, I hear about it, I think, oh, I performed there once. What was the, what was the performance uh, specifically? It was like an annual showcase that they used to do at my um, dance school. So I, I'm sure I performed there maybe twice. Um, so, yeah, that, that's mine. I always struggle to think of something like this. Well, two very fascinating uh, facts about the pair of you. Thanks for sharing. The idea for Local Week came after reflecting on how isolating times have been during the pandemic. Reporters stuck inside their own homes have become detached from their local communities and as a result are losing the habit of getting out on their local patch. Bureau Local is known for having reporters spread out across the UK, in Portsmouth, Brighton, Manchester, Birmingham, Scotland and so on. Working remotely, when it could also mean working on the ground, seemed like wasted potential. And so, with the cost of living crisis looming, they decided to block a week off in their editorial calendar and send reporters into their local communities without an agenda, just to have open conversations with grassroots groups about these economic pressures that people were facing and ask these people's opinion on what their news coverage could focus on in the future. They made it clear conversations were on background and not for publication. Although, if interviewees were comfortable, they could agree to contribute to stories in the future. You know, we're really keen on our editorial work being grassroots led. Um, and this was very much a way of trying to do that while also trying to connect us all better again with our neighbourhoods and with just kind of meeting people face to face and 
connecting with people on a much deeper level than just gathering case studies or going to people with really specific questions. Vicky, could you speak a little bit to how different was this to our normal day in the office for you? <laughs> Massively different because my day in the office is generally sat around a, a table by myself. Um, so yeah, we tried to basically, we, we had a free week and the objective was just to fill it as you saw fit. Um, you didn't need, need to literally have every moment of the day um, scheduled to go and meet somebody or, or to go and um, visit an organisation, but at least try and get as much of that week filled as possible. So I was in and out. If I wasn't able to actually visit someone in person, I was trying to catch up with contacts who you kind of keep in touch with ever since we started the health and equality beat, but not necessarily regularly. So I kind of use this as a week to also get back in touch with them as well. So it was yeah, massively different um, for all of us, I, I would say. Was the purpose finding stories? Was it audience engagement? Was What was the ultimate outcome that you wanted to achieve here? I would say it was both of those outcomes, really. It, it was primarily just to get us out and about and reconnected. Like we're all um, focused on the cost of living and we all understand the pressures that uh, are happening for all of us but we can't sit in a room as journalists and make those decisions amongst ourselves if you want to know where to focus in terms of um, our journalism you have to go out and actually speak to people and, and learn what they need from you as journalists mm. so it was uh, listening it was about learning but then also using those um, insights to like Rachel said kind of figure out what are we actually going to report on for the next half a year or, or year like what's most important to individuals where we live and, br and bring those insights in um rachel uh, excuse the rodent pun here but um for for a lot of news organizations it can feel almost impossible to come off the hamster wheel uh, and and really just focus on gathering insights and not have to worry about the the pressures of the news cycle how did you manage that um i think it was the fact that we probably all had a common purpose i think everybody clicked with the idea and agreed that it will be beneficial for for multiple reasons um so i think the fact that we all all had buy-in and we knew that you know a week out of our normal duties potentially could end up being more productive than a normal week ever could um because of all the insights that we were going to gather i guess just the kind of context for our journalism so a, a week isn't long and you know we'll maybe come back later to how we might want to go back to some of the people that we spoke to and, and not make this a one-off thing. Um, but that week has given us a lot of context and because we weren't prescriptive about questions, although we wanted to know about things like kind of poverty and debt and how some of that's accelerated, we also heard from people on a much kind of deeper kind of fundamental level and lots of the questioning was based around principles of design thinking and so on where you're doing really deep listening. Um, and really kind of finding out at quite a deep level what people's concerns are, what's really negatively affecting their lives, where they think change should come from. Um, and I think kind of gathering some of that insight has been really kind of super powerful. Mm. So so have I understood correctly that basically all other operations ceased and the, the pretty much primary focus was uh, getting on your local high street, trying to gather insights, speak to the community? Theoretically, yes. I mean, us being a busy journalism organisation, of course, there were little bits that crept in. There were a couple of reporters that were due to participate and had to drop out because they had really busy ongoing investigations and so on. So these things are never as kind of smooth or neat as they can sometimes be painted. Um, but, you know, we got a really good critical mass of seven people out and about for the majority of the week. Um, and yeah, on high streets, but also not just high streets into kind of areas of the 
our cities and towns and so on that you know normally journalists don't bother visiting or if they do they do in a very extractive level. Vicky talk to me about some of your favorite experiences with your boots on the ground. Oh I um I had a really good time actually at Aston and Neutral's food bank in Birmingham. I think why I had such a good time is that the coordinator they knew exactly what I was doing so they knew that I wanted to speak to people so when I arrived there they really helped me to facilitate that they introduced me to various people um, so I got to hear from like different uh, types of volunteers and also they had um, caseworkers coming in as well so I got to get a bit of insight from them and then also the different personalities that were coming into the food bank uh, there was one particular gentleman who just was happy to have a chat because also he was there to socialize so for him he was quite happy to sit there for an hour and a half I think he kept saying like oh they're going to kick me out soon but we was just like no we're not like you can you can sit here and talk for as long as you want to and it just it ended up being a really educational um couple of hours for me um so that was a really good experience and I think as well also going to have a chat with um the musicians union in Birmingham which was um, a contact of our colleague Emiliano he put me in touch. It wouldn't necessarily be um, uh, someone that I would naturally reach out to because I don't cover the creative arts or or music. But that was just a really interesting conversation to know a bit more about what that profession has been going through um, and how the pandemic and, and lockdown restrictions had affected their work. So just loads of insights that at the time you're wondering, how am I going to piece all of this together? But actually, as soon as I got back and started talking about some of what I learned, people were already kind of, you know, drawing parallels and bringing their past knowledge in. So I found those uh, trips really valuable. And how does that compare to if you would remain doing what you were previously doing and just trying to report from the confines of your living room, um, if it was just another day in the office, what difference did it make to be able to do this local week to your reporting? I would just say, like, being at home, you just, it's so difficult sometimes to facilitate those conversations. And like Rachel said, generally, you go into a conversation with a purpose. So if you've emailed someone because you want to speak to them, you're letting them know why you want to chat. It's not necessarily organic. It's It definitely has a purpose. You're on the phone for 20 minutes, half an hour because you're conscious of time and then you're off again. Whereas this was just going in, I'm just going to have a conversation. And what I learned from that, I, I learned from that. And like I said, no kind of preconceived ideas. We, we also have to think quite a lot in our work about digital inequality because digital inequality is so prevalent in the UK at the moment. And, you know, if we're at home and we can only speak to people through kind of Zoom meetings, if you want to get facial expressions and body language and so on, that cuts out a massive chunk of the population. And there's so many people that we spoke to in that week that we just would never have been able to speak to that way. Really? Like who? People that don't have internet access at home now because they can't afford it, for example, or people who don't have devices um, that can access the internet. You're also only, only seeing those people at that one particular point in time, aren't you? It's like you, you catch them, you have that conversation, and then they're gone about their lives again. So all of those one-off uh, exchanges that are, are happening is the reason that you just can't replicate that being sat at home. Correct me if I'm wrong here, there's a word called sonder is it which which basically means the realization that um everyone else you meet in passing has these intricate and and vivid lives of their own and like you said if someone who's passed you in the street that's gone you're unlikely to see them again and it's great to grab that chance while it's presented to you i think that's definitely true and i think that the mm. the week that we had allowed us to really you know get a taste at least of the complexities of some people's lives and the extremely difficult decisions that they're having to make in in trying circumstances um you know and that might be decisions between 
you know, paying for food and paying for heat. It might be trying to decide between paying for rent or paying for food, or it could be, um, you know, potentially even feeling the need to get back into crime on some level to actually be able to fund life um, at the moment. There's just so many things like that, so many tough decisions people are having to make and for so many relatable reasons, and a lot of that gets uh, just lost in, in kind of the large discussions about cost of living. Mm. Rachel, at the same time, this this feels just like really good journalism, really good basic journalism that we should all be doing. Why is this such a, a handbrake turn, as it were? Why is it so hard to for journalists to have the capacity to do this ordinarily um, and sort of go beyond their usual string cohort of contacts? Yeah, I mean, this is something we were saying when we were planning this week. Was this shouldn't feel like an unusual thing? This should a lot of this should be part and parcel of good journalism and good local journalism and and good social and social affairs journalism um but yeah it does stand out as an exception to the norm i think a lot of that is just um capacity you know local newspapers the journalists that work there are pressed so hard now to kind of file multiple stories um for kind of tighter and tighter deadlines it's just not an option they're also maybe covering beats that are further away than they used to be um reporters just don't really have time to do this anymore and i know that lots of them would love to and lots of them would be great at it um, but it's just often not an option. We had a lot of um, buy-in from senior management, so they were all um, in support of it. But if you don't have a culture like that in your workplace, it's really difficult to go out and have those kinds of meetings where there is no expectation that you're bringing back a story. Um, and I remember when I worked in local news, when you were training as a journalist, you had this expectation and the teachers would tell you that basically you'd be going out and smoothing loads of people and meeting people all the time and then I got into the workplace and actually, if you did go out, you were expected to come back with something. You couldn't just go off for random meetings. So even though what we did as part of our local week should be typical practice, I can guarantee it's not. Yeah. And it also feels like a cardinal sin to come back empty handed. I would add to that. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. It can be hard to adapt our well-drilled journalistic instincts, but the point of the week was to ditch the list of questions or the quest for comment and instead connect with sources they wouldn't normally contact or reconnect with those that have gone cold. In many ways, what this required was permission to fail. Some reporters even felt that if their conversations veered away from the theme of the cost of living crisis, then they'd get penalised, but the goal here was to be as open-minded as possible. Sometimes, because these conversations were about personal subjects, people didn't want to open up. And that's okay. Reporters were supposed to just let the conversations go wherever it felt natural. You know, sometimes there's a bit of awkwardness asking people about financial um, situation or particular pressures, especially when they're in an environment when they're trying to escape that. So for example, I went to a coffee morning. It was a women's coffee morning. People are there to escape their own existence and have an hour of socialising and joy. I don't really want to go in there. Yes, I told them who I was and what I was doing, but I don't want to go in and start asking them about all the pressures that they're facing every day for that one hour that they're trying to achieve a bit of peace. Did you like call ahead of time or did you just pop in there or what did you do? So we organised it all ahead of time. Um, but I found that some organisations were better at communicating with their team. So, for example, for that particular um, place, I organised my visit with one person they didn't necessarily communicate that to other team members. Then when I rocked up, I still had to explain what I was doing and who actually said that I could come. 
but there was other places who were a bit more informed and then they took me around and um, kind of used that as an opportunity to shout about what they were doing as an organization which I enjoyed because it just let me know how much work they're doing in the community which is incredible so I found it okay not going in there with a list of questions I, I was quite happy to do that. Awesome. Um... Rachel, you produce this sort of briefing doc ahead of time for your reporters, which I kind of see as there was some guidance in there, but there was also a lot of autonomy to kind of do your own thing. Um, can you talk to me about the importance of of that document and how that helped prepare reporters for the week? Sure. I mean, I think it's really important that reporters do have autonomy to respond to situations on the ground, and it definitely wasn't supposed to be prescriptive. But I think also the this exercise is one that pushed people out of their comfort zone quite a bit. So I kind of coordinated it, but I also participated as a journalist. Um, and as Vicky has kind of mentioned, it's quite, um, you know, some of the things we were asking people about were quite tough things to ask them about. So it felt like it was a good idea to have like a plan and a toolkit ahead of time that journalists could use just to help figure out how to approach some of that. Um and also just to kind of have us coordinated as a unit so that we would get together at the beginning of the week, have a bit of a check-in. Um, there was kind of a lunch scheduled in the middle of the week just so everyone could potentially touch base and see how they were getting on. And then there was kind of a debrief and kind of decompress session at the end as well. Um, and then we're actually soon going to have a, a longer kind of deeper meeting looking at all the findings and looking at individual stories and also kind of systemic patterns that will have emerged um, from the work overall. Um, but yeah, I think it needed that kind of framework um, and a bit of guidance for everyone just to make them kind of feel feel safe going out and doing the exercise. And it is it is quite intimidating sometimes, although it, it's something that we should all do as journalists, but kind of going out into lots of unfamiliar situations. Um, as journalists, I think we need to make better use of existing networks um, and people that are kind of trusted community leaders and community organizers and those people can often give us amazing access to um, groups of people that we should be speaking to without us having to build trust from ground zero so that's really important and we need to kind of measure that against the fact that a safe way of doing things for journalists is to go through a large national charity deal with for example a press officer the press officer might have a handful of people who are kind of case studies that they regularly use and those people often have, you know, a narrative that they've repeated to journalists many times um, or it serves a policy purpose for the charity. I think it's really important for us to get out to more grassroots groups um, and work through those kind of community organisers and community leaders to speak to people that, who really can are on the ground and aren't, you know, necessarily media trained. Is there any case study that you discovered which really stands out to you that you just would have never come across previously yes i mean almost the entire week i was speaking to people that we wouldn't have come across through our usual channels um i don't want to speak too much about specifics because we very much promised people that we wouldn't i suppose one thing that's related but was really useful for us um we found from certainly i found from speaking to people in edinburgh uh that although the cost of living crisis is something that's been accelerating over kind of you know, recent months and the recent years. And although that's against a backdrop of kind of historical poverty that's been, you know, created and exacerbated by government policy, there has been an acceleration. And I think some of the conversations that we had showed really practical examples of that that we probably wouldn't have found otherwise. 
So one example was in this particular block of flats in Edinburgh, the residents would buy extra stuff at the supermarket and leave stuff in bags in the stairwell of the flats with kind of a, a use by date on the front of the bag so that people that did feel uncomfortable or kind of stigmatized going to food banks and so on would still have a way of maybe accessing food. And it was a way of the kind of community supporting each other. People would contribute um, food to those bags wherever they could. Apparently in recent months, those bags have now dried up. They're, they're no longer there. People can't afford to put them there anymore. Um, and that coincides with stuff that I've heard from people running food banks, um, people working in supermarkets and seeing the donations in the trolleys there. Um, in terms of the donation, financial donations that food banks are getting now, there seems to be just kind of a real drying up of, of what people can afford to give in support of other people. Um, and I think that that's really important to note and also kind of shows why these conversations are so timely. Rachel created a briefing ahead of time which gave journalists some pointers and prep for the week. For instance, it encouraged journalists to prioritise lived and local experience over just anyone they could get on the phone in an average week. Reporters were encouraged to look into some very specific questions as well, like who is profiting from those who are struggling financially? What systems are not working properly to help those in need? What issues are affecting people the most severely? And how can we report on these in a way that will bring about positive change? There was guidance on which places to tap into, like migrant support groups, social action groups, or even soup kitchens. But reporters also had full autonomy to go about the week in any manner that seemed appropriate to them. Often journalists are accused of writing for other journalists, their editor, or to one-up their local rival. Rachel's document speaks to the influence of the editor. In this case, Rachel came out and took the pressure off journalists and told them essentially to leave their preconceptions at the door. This is significant in the act of setting the right culture needed to listen properly. Rachel says that she understands that the Bureau Local is uniquely positioned to execute something like this due to how collaboratively they work and the long-term nature of their coverage, but there are plenty of lessons for other newsrooms. But I think if editors can, you know, within the parameters that they're dealing with, um, give some permission to staff to kind of experiment, use some autonomy and cast the net a bit wider um, for kind of themes and stories than they than they normally would, then I think that's really important. And I think some of it also goes back to the the class and also diversity issue in newsrooms. Um, but thinking particularly about kind of poverty and debt and looking at the way it's going with kind of class in newsrooms and journalists and how many are, are middle class. There are some exceptions, obviously, but uh, they are the exceptions, not the norm. Um, I think this kind of work is incredibly important. Otherwise, you know, ultimately we're all just really, really disconnected from what we're supposed to be reporting on. And that's quite dangerous. Vicky, you said something really interesting earlier in the call about the awkwardness of speaking to people. Um, I'm just wondering if you have any um, tips on how to sort of break down those those barriers and how to overcome those uh, concerns when you spoke to people. I think you just have to go at their pace. I mean, you have to appreciate that, again, um, the most amount of time that I spent at, with any organisation was three hours. And that's, that's if they had a particular, like, their food bank session was that long or they had an event that was going on. So I stayed for that length of time. Um, so you have to go at that person's pace. If you're having an, a natural conversation with them, you've told them what you're doing and who you are and you're not getting much out of them, it, that's not the situation to kind of be prodding them into saying something about themselves that they obviously don't want to reveal to you um I wish I had more tips because I I found it a bit more awkward than I thought I would to be honest kind of um 
trying to not interrogate but <laughs> trying to get out of people what their um everyday kind of economic pressures were but but I think just going with the conversation recognizing if they want to talk if they don't and just using a bit of intuition with that I would say yeah, because it's it's journalists instinct to want to push for the soundbite push for the insight isn't it did you discover or were you a, bit, a little bit more aware of when and where not to push yeah definitely I think so in some situations it just felt really unnatural especially if I was um at a particular event or with an organization that didn't focus like their focus wasn't um finances for example um like Neutral's Pod which I visited great community organization but I was at like a garden party which they put on for the community so yes the group of people that I was sat with I did let them know who I was um and they were intrigued about that and kind of just general intrigue of journalists but that wasn't necessarily the place to have you know to start that really deep meaningful conversation so I just had to read the room with that one any good icebreakers to help get the ball moving you kind of want to ask people like what brings you here and you know but even that for me sometimes felt a bit too intrusive you're at a food bank I I don't know it might seem like an obvious question, but sometimes it just wasn't the best one to ask. Sometimes uh, maybe asking, um, for example, a community meal that I went to with Food Cycle, um, and I went down and, and sat with people while they were eating. I just kind of asked them, you know, how long have you been coming here? And just tell me a bit about yourself. Like, what do you like about, you know, being here? And that sometimes gave me a little bit of an insight Um there was one particular lady that I sat with. She spoke to me about some mental health issues that she'd been going through. And she really likes the volunteers there. And, and she comes every week because it's, you know, a chance for her to get out and socialise. So I learned a little bit. But thinking about safeguarding, is is she the right person to be pressing about her life? Probably not. So I just took what I was mm. given. And, and Rachel, I suppose without the expectations to deliver, they don't have to push and and make someone uncomfortable in that situation we deliberately did the whole exercise for background so we made it clear to people that we were speaking um, to them for background it wasn't for a story that nothing that they said would be published um, if there was something that they said that we thought might ultimately be a good thing for publication in the future sometime we would come back to them discuss it with them ask for sign off Um, so that allowed people I guess to be kind of reasonably free and comfortable with what they said um, I think context is also important and there's lots of learnings from the week, but I guess I guess one of mine is it's it's useful to target places where some of the subjects that we want to look at are already under discussion. So one group that I went to meet with was a kind of a woman's social group um, at a community hub, but it was based around kind of economic issues and how to kind of make your household budget work under extreme duress and so on. So, you know, these were things that the woman out of the group were coming there to talk about anyway um so they were kind of warm to the idea but also because it was a social event and everyone was having lunch together there was the kind of sociability and the warmth of that so that event for example um worked really kind of well for our purposes and everybody was really open open and friendly um and you know that's a group for example that i i think it will be really good to go back to in future perhaps on a kind of regular basis build up a relationship and see how people kind of are affected over the kind of coming months and years is there anything you would do differently next time around? Um, yes, probably have a little bit more time to organise things because, as Vicky says, it's you know, it's a long and, and time-consuming process getting people to kind of 
sometimes understand the concepts because it seems obvious to us, but the idea that you're just going for an open chat with people without a story or a really specific goal in mind just isn't what people kind of expect from journalists or the media. Right. So what's what sort of a runway would you like next time? Um, I mean, six weeks, probably, ideally. I think we ended up prepping kind of, well, theoretically a month in advance, but probably most of us left it to three or two weeks in advance. Um, so that will be one thing. I think also, as I mentioned, targeting particularly kind of groups um, that are focused on the topics that we want to look at anyway, so that people kind of feel some degree of comfort talking about quite difficult subjects. I don't know. I mean, I feel like it was relatively successful given given that it was an experiment and it was a new thing. Vicky, go ahead. Just to reiterate what Rachel said, one of the suggestions that she had um, in her toolkit was to try and shadow somebody, so whether that's a volunteer or a member of staff in a particular organisation. I didn't have any well, enough leading time to organise that, and I would have loved to have done that. Um, some organisations came back to me and just said, oh, we just haven't got enough time to facilitate you coming in. Um, particularly like the family-led organisations is is one kind of set of uh, of charities I didn't really get to interact with much. So, Because there'd be paperwork involved, you mean? I think, yeah, they'll probably have to do like risk assessments and things to have me come and shadow them. But that I just think that would have been so valuable, really, just to see like what a day in their working life looks like and the different people that they're coming across. Amazing, amazing. Um, that's a superb tip. Um, What's next for Local Week when you do it uh, again? I don't know yet because we're meeting in a couple of weeks to kind of have that discussion about next steps. Um, I think we're all agreed we don't want it to be a one-off. And we also don't want to feel that it's extractive so that the communities we've spoken to, you know, we're never going back to and they never hear from us again. Um, So we want to have some some kind of follow-up with them. We're talking about whether each of us could perhaps focus in on one or two groups that we spoke to during the week and build up a more permanent relationship with those groups. So going in once a month or once every two months just to kind of check in and see how people are doing and hear what they think we should be looking at. Um, So those are a couple of things. We're also going to kind of go through all the material we gathered and look for story and investigation ideas that we might develop. Um, Obviously there's lots of individual terrible problems on the ground, but all pretty much all fed by big structural issues and big government policy decisions. And those are all things that we could potentially be kind of digging into and getting more data on. So it's kind of time, time, I guess, to kind of look at what we've got and decide what we could focus in on. Um, and we've obviously got a lot of material. We, we won't then end up taking on to investigation. So I suppose also just thinking, you know, what do we do with that other material? And are there, you know, connections that we could set up between other local reporters and some of the groups and people that we spoke to to kind of let them take stories on further themselves? Hmm. How, if at all, are you able to track the impact that you might be having? I know the, the Bureau of Investigative Journalism does fascinating work around impact tracking. Is there scope there to share strategies and resources and tools? Yes. Um, I mean, the community organiser role that I do and the impact producer role at the Bureau are fairly similar and we work together a lot. The ultimate goal of Local Week was really not to have a, a preconceived output. Um, and we've kind of agreed as a team that, you know, if nothing concrete comes out of it, it's still useful and informative for the rest of our work. That said, I think that there's a lot of possibility for us taking story ideas, developing them and co-producing them with some of the people that we spoke to, turning them into investigations and then potentially having kind of 
policy change impact um, and if we can track that all the way through from the beginning of the journalistic process at something like local week all the way through to that the, that kind of political endpoint, then that's a pretty great journey and that will be really satisfying. I'd like to get one tip from you each uh, based on your week. Um, for anyone maybe considering doing uh, something similar, um, replicating it in their own beats, it, it may not be for their local patch, but it might be, you know, sector specific. Uh, Vicky, I'll come to you first. Uh, one best tip um, based on uh, your experiences on local week. I think just enjoy it because it can be a little bit nerve wracking going in. You see all of these people. And yes, it's like in, in journalism, you do that all the time. So people might think it's weird that I say it's nerve wracking. But there's just something different about going in to get a story, get your quotes, blah, 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 and move out as opposed to going in to just sit down and, and have a conversation. So I'd say people need to enjoy being there first and foremost. And Rachel? My tip would probably be to think outside the box. So I spoke to lots of interesting organisations that I knew of on the ground, but I wanted to try something different too. So I spoke to, there's a really good um, local skate shop that's kind of subversive and does all sorts of stunts and so on, but also acted as a kind of food and clothes distributor during COVID and has a bit of a kind of social mission on the side. So I worked with them actually through social media, in this case, Instagram, during the week to put out questions around cost of living and poverty to all their kind of followers and users so that they could send in anonymous responses. And that was really useful for gathering a lot of kind of insight and ideas from young people across Edinburgh um, who I probably wouldn't have reached through the other work. So that was very complimentary. Break the mould. Um, great place to leave it. Um, Vicky, Rachel, thank you so much for jumping on the show. This has been a blast. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Tons of interesting insights here. Here's what I take from this conversation. Maybe you don't have to stop all deadlines for an entire week, but there might be a situation where you can, every now and again, take journalists off the production line. If you can, give them a week to connect and listen to sources, gather insights and shape long-term editorial focus and strategy. It's worth trying to find a middle ground between giving them a framework to work within and free reign to do it their way. You could be amazed what blind spots emerge and what stories come out of it. If you do try this out, let us know how it goes. You can DM or tweet me at JPG Journalism or the wider team at journalism.co.uk at Journalism News. If you'd like to feature on the show or you've got a topic or story you want us to cover on the podcast, do get in touch. I'm on jacob at journalism.co.uk. And finally, if you like what you heard today, you can check out more of our episodes on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts by searching and subscribing to the journalism.co.uk podcast. That way, you won't miss our next exciting episode. But that's all we have time for this week. I've been your host, Jacob Granger. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.